So Holy Spirit, please help us to uh, understand that and to live out of it. And uh, we want to follow you more. So please use your word to help us do that. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to say hello to the 11 o'clock congregation and the middle schoolers and the high schoolers and the people online. Thank you for joining us. All of you here, thank you for joining us. I always feel very grateful when people join us when the Seahawks are playing at 10 a.m. You have DVR'd the game. Your crown in heaven is much, much larger because of that. So that's terrible theology, but thank you for being here, even though the Seahawks are playing right now. Um, a while back, my wife and I were watching curling on TV, which I know, right? It's like the weirdest sport ever, right? And so I posted on Instagram the question, why do I find curling strangely compelling? And a guy who works here, a person on our staff here, he wrote this. He says, it's because... Curling takes people who are not inherently physically gifted and puts them on a world stage. Who among us doesn't dream that our less-than-perfect bodies could be part of something bigger? Curling takes seemingly fruitless and repetitive actions and makes something of them. Those frantic sweepings of the broom are a reflection of our lives. We go about our business and we realize we're off course and we frantically and spastically try to fix it. We're told that each of us has a gift and that we should work with passion and trust that others on our team will do their strangely weird actions too and together it will all make sense. And then he said, either that or you're a weirdo. (laughs) It could be that. He doesn't work here anymore. (laughs) Church is like curling. And here's how. Jesus calls us to work together for something of worldwide importance, and we spastically flail about, but somehow Jesus gets his work done in, around, and through us, and in the process makes our lives bigger, richer, sometimes harder, but bigger, richer, and more fulfilling. And that's what the verses that Annie just read are really talking about. We are going through the Bible in 10 weeks, so obviously we're just hitting the highlights, right? Because otherwise the sermons would be five hours long. And as desirable as that is, we can't do it. So far, we've seen that God, that we were made to be in relationship with God, but we ran away from him. But God never gives up, so he pursues us, and he launches a rescue plan. And he says to a man named Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's plan is to bless Abraham and his descendants who become the nation of Israel, to to form a a, a new society grounded in justice, mercy, and love who will spread God's love and better way of living, not just to the Israelites, but to the whole world, every tribe, tongue, and nation. From the get-go, this was always meant to be a multicultural, multiracial movement. And as we saw last week, the Israelites eventually end up as slaves in Egypt. God calls Moses to get them out, which he does. And then what we talk about today, God gives them his law. Not just the Ten Commandments, but all the laws in the books of Exodus and Leviticus and the Old Testament. And if you've ever tried tried to read the Bible from cover to cover, this is where you stopped. (laughs) Right? Because it's pretty exciting up to this point. And then suddenly, chapter after chapter of mind-numbingly dull laws. And that's a problem for us. Because we don't want a God who gives us laws, do we? We want a God who does what we want him to do when we want him to do it, not the other way around. And that's because we look at the law all wrong. 
we think the law is meant to keep us from having fun. But the law, God's law, is much bigger and much more fulfilling than that in two ways. First, God's law is not to wreck our fun. God's law is to show us a better way to live. In the verses we read today, right before God gives the Ten Commandments, he says, you have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. This is how the Ten Commandments start. They start with love. It's not, you know, it's not obey me and then I'll love you. No, this is how the Ten Commandments start, in love. That's really important to remember. And then in the New Testament passage that we read, it says, once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, it's not obey me and then maybe I'll love you. That's the basis of every other religion. It's I already love you. And when you really understand that, you're going to want to obey me because you're going to trust that I have your best interests at heart and that my commands are meant to guide you to a better way of living so you can thrive. That's the first thing about the law. But more than that, and I'm going to spend the rest of the time on this, more than that, the law is also God's rescue plan for this world. Because see, when we rebelled against God, all kinds of crap entered the world. All kinds of sexism, racism, violence, poverty, all kinds of stuff. God's plan to fix all of that is to call a group of people to himself who are so transformed by his love that they become a new society grounded in justice, mercy, and love who then spread God's love and better way of living to every race on earth to reverse the effects of the fall. Not perfect people, not better people, sinful, screwed up, messed up, jacked up, you and me, who God loves with a white hot fury and is transforming to be his people. And our individualistic culture has blinded us to this communal aspect of the law. We think it's about what I can and can't do. But God says you will be to me a kingdom. That's a lot of people of priests and a holy nation. In other words, a community of priests. And a priest's job is to help people experience God's love. We are called to to be a community of people who experience God's love and then bring God's love to Kirkland and Redmond and Issaquah and Bellevue and Seattle and and Renton so people can know him. And yeah, we're going to get it wrong sometimes, just like in curling. We're going to mess up. We're going to spastically flail about, but God is still going to get his work done through us. And that's what Israel was supposed to do. And the New Testament makes it really clear that God no longer works through one particular nation like Israel, but that we, the church, collectively, capital C, we are the new Israel. That's why the passages are almost identical, right? The Old Testament verse says, you will be a treasured possession, kingdom of priests, holy nation. New Testament says you are a royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Or as he says a few verses later, that people will see your good deeds and form a right opinion about who God is. In other words, live in a way that makes Jesus look good. And the you is plural, right? Y'all, yous guys, all y'all, right? All us all, all on mission, a community on mission together to bring Jesus healing wherever we go. Now, that is really different than how a lot of people think about the church, right? A lot of people think church, they think boring, judgmental, mired in tradition, that sort of thing. I recently saw an article uh, from the Babylon Bee, which is a, a satirical, Christian satirical website. And the headline, the caption of this article said, Hundreds hospitalized after new hymn introduced in church. 
Hundreds were traumatized in the wake of a disastrous hymn rollout on Sunday. Pastor Norm Schroeder chose a new hymn for the church service. I remember thinking the hymn looked unfamiliar, said helpless victim Dolores Hamilton from her hospital bed. My heart pounded, my vision narrowed. I didn't make it through the first verse before I passed out. First responders were overwhelmed as they made their way through the panicked mob. We haven't seen such a tragedy since the Reformed Church introduced contemporary worship, <laughs> lamented police chief Richard Johnson. If we hadn't tasered the organist, the death toll would have been catastrophic. <laughs> Why didn't the pastor run his plans through the worship committee? Why weren't congregants given the standard three-month warning before a new hymn is introduced? Only the immediate excommunication of Pastor Schroeder can ensure such a tragedy never happens again. That's how a lot of people think about church. Tragically, some church people think about it that way, right? Mired in tradition, boring, judgmental. That is not God's idea of church. God's plan is to heal the world. God's plan to heal the world is to make us a radically different kind of community who live God's better way and bring his healing where we live, work, play, or learn. And the laws in Exodus and Leviticus, right, all those laws are really a description of this better way of living and this new society. Now, it's also true, I just need to say, it's also true, there are some very weird laws there as well, right? There's two whole chapters on mildew, you know, a bunch of stuff about don't mix fabrics, apparently polyester is bad, right? Laws about what you can and can't eat, laws about bodily fluids, which I can't read in here because it's not church words, right? Leviticus 15, if you're interested. <laughs> and of course you are. Right? You're all going to go home and read it, right? And tragically, that's the only thing some of you will remember from this sermon. <laughs> Those are all, you're like, Leviticus 15, I got to go. <laughs> that's all right, your kids are going to read it too, and now you're going to have a conversation. So, um, those are cultural and ceremonial laws meant to help Israel understand it is unique. But those cultural and ceremonial laws get overturned in the New Testament. Also, some of the harsh penalties in the New Testament, or in the Old Testament, get overturned in the New Testament because Jesus pays the penalty for our sins. Cultural and ceremonial laws get overturned in the New Testament, but moral laws, how we relate to God, how we relate to each other, those do not get overturned and they describe a new society. For instance, this was the first culture in all of human history where daughters could inherit family wealth just as sons could. This is the first culture in all of human history that protected women's economic security by making divorce difficult so the husband, the breadwinner, couldn't just up and leave. There are over a hundred verses about caring for the poor, the immigrant, the racial outsider. One law says, when you reap the harvest, you should not reap to the corners of your field. You are to leave them for the needy and foreigner residing among you. In other words, don't take all the profit you can take from your business, but leave some for the poor. Or this law, the alien, that is foreigner or immigrant, in your land shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt." In fact, here's a partial list, and I, I emphasize this is only a partial list of laws in both Old and New Testament commanding us to care for foreigners and immigrants. And here's another list, again, only partial, of laws in both Old and New Testament about caring for the poor. And here's another partial list in Old and New Testament of laws about racial justice and reconciliation. And those are just a few. Of, there's many more. These are not minor themes in Scripture. 
This is everywhere in Old and New Testament. And they're not just weird Old Testament laws. They are reaffirmed in the New Testament. And if all these laws were followed, oh my goodness, how much better would the world be? How much better would the world... No racism, no sexism, no poverty, right? God even says, there need be no poor people among you if only you follow these commands. See, God wants to work through us to heal his world. Not by taking over the government and establishing a theocracy, but by being a new society who brings Jesus healing wherever we go in ways that make people want to follow Jesus and live his better way until eventually more and more people are living this way and the culture just naturally starts to change. We gather here on Sunday to be encouraged, to be taught, to connect with Jesus in worship, and that's super important. It's vital. So thank you for being here. And then we scatter the rest of the week where God has put us. So if tomorrow someone asks you, where is your church located? Do not say 1717 Bellevue Way. Say instead, my church is in Kirkland Middle School and in Microsoft offices in Redmond and, and, and at soccer games and in neighborhoods all around. And when we live this different way, when we live as citizens of God's new society, I, truth in advertising, it can make our life harder. It can make our life harder, but also way more fulfilling. I have a friend uh, who loves to vacation and spend his weekends along with his wife on Catalina Island in California where he lives. And he starts every day with this simple prayer, Lord, show me who you want me to love today. And just starts every day with that prayer. Well, when he and his wife go to Catalina, which they do a lot, they eat breakfast at the same breakfast shop. And they met a busboy there who had immigrated from Mexico, was working three jobs just to make ends meet, and over the course of a couple of years kind of created a relationship with this guy. And they began to find ways to kind of love him tangibly. Sometimes they would give him money to help him out when he was in, in trouble that way. They'd pray with him when he faced certain problems. They helped connect him to better job opportunities and just to have this relationship. Well, on one of their trips, this guy told him that he was getting married that week and he wanted them both to come to his wedding. And my friend said, no, 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 they couldn't. They only had vacation clothes, shorts, T-shirts, that sort of thing. He said, come as you are. Right? So they went to the wedding feeling very conspicuous because they were the only white people at this wedding. And part of a Mexican wedding is that afterwards everyone parades through the town to the town square. And there was mariachi bands playing. The food was amazing. Right? And in their tradition, the first dance is not between the bride and the groom, but the bride and groom dance with the most honored guests at the wedding. So the bride and groom went clear to the back of the crowd picked out my friend and his wife in their shorts and Hawaiian shirts, pulled them into the center of the square and danced the first dance with them because they considered them the most honored guests at this wedding because of how they had changed this guy's life. My friend said it was the best vacation he ever had because it was so fulfilling to be part of what God was doing in this, in this guy's life. He said, plus the food was awesome. Right? All my friends did was simply ask the question, Jesus, who do you want me to love today? And God showed them. And then they noticed a man that most, peop- most tourists just pass on by. I love the way the old King James Version translates these, these verses. It says, Ye are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. <laughs> See, the goal is to be peculiar. And some of you are doing that quite well. You've really nailed the peculiar thing. Right? Now, some of you might want to be like, oh, I don't want to be peculiar. I want to be cool. Well, here's the thing. Peculiar means people who live radically different lives. Not thermometers that merely register the cultural temperature around us, but thermostats who transform it for the better. And that is cool. And that is fulfilling. 
During the Roman Empire, those first Christians were the most peculiar people the Romans had ever seen because they did weird things. Christians didn't go to gladiator games. Too violent. NC-17. Right? They didn't practice female infanticide, which the Romans did. They empowered women and used them in leadership roles. They kept sex inside of marriage. They didn't practice divorce. They were radically generous to the poor. They put different races together in one community. And nobody had ever seen people this peculiar before. And just as an aside, by our standards, is that list conservative or liberal? It's both, isn't it? It's both, and, it, and it's neither, right? The stuff about sex inside of marriage, no divorce, no violence, that kind sounds conservative, right? The rest of it sounds kind of liberal. See, we are not called to be left or right, Republican or Democrat. We are called to be Christians <laughs> who live in a different way, not because we have a weird Christian subculture and use weird words for things, but because we live in a radically different way. And when people see that, some will be repulsed. Some people won't like it. But others are going to be drawn in to this new way of living. That's why Christianity, within a century, became the largest religion in the world and has never stopped being the largest religion in the world because it is so compelling when it is lived correctly. Now, some of you right now, at this point in the sermon, or maybe even earlier, were like, oh, gosh, this sounds so hard. Now i got to bring Jesus healing. Got to fit that in somewhere. Great. I'll do it on Wednesday, I suppose, right? <laughs> this just sounds like duty, obligation, burden, right? The other day I saw a picture that kind of captures that feeling. It says, if you stir coconut oil into your kale, it makes it easier to scrape into the trash. That's the best part of this sermon. <laughs> Some of you right now might be going, this sermon is like eating your kale, Dudley. It's like duty, obligation. Okay, I get that. But here's the thing. First, there's some amazing rewards, like the story I just told you about my friends who loved a busboy and ended up with a very fulfilling vacation. But also, remember, God is not asking us to do this perfectly, my stressed-out, overachieving East Side friends. Right? There's a very important word in the passage out of Exodus. God says, if you keep my covenant, you'll be a kingdom of priests. Covenant. And the word for, Hebrew word for covenant is berit, and it means to cut. And it comes from how covenants were formed, where two people making an agreement would kill an animal, divide it in half, and walk between the two halves of this dead animal as a way of saying, if you don't keep up your end of this bargain, I'm going to make you like this dead animal. A price is going to need to be paid. Right? It's a little more than a handshake. And the reality is we break God's covenant daily. But the Bible says even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And the payment for breaking the covenant does not fall on us. It falls on God in human form, Jesus, who died to pay the price for our sins. You see, Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because I owed a debt I could not pay. And God is not asking for perfection He's simply asking that we be faithful. And maybe we're ready for this. Like maybe after decades of rising divorce levels and, and, and loneliness because we're not really making deep friends and racial tensions and family tensions and a fractured culture as we all yell at each other about politics, are we done yet? Are we done? Are we ready to admit that Jesus might have a better way than our way? I got an email 
uh, from a woman in our church who said that the neighborhood she and her husband lived in, there's always these lawsuits, lots of lawsuits about setback lines and trees blocking views, all kinds of stuff. And she said it's always been a difficult place to get to know people because people keep suing each other. <laughs> like, funny how that works, right? So she began to pray about all of this, and then a few months later, another round of disputes rose over some trees that were blocking some views, and, and that can affect property value. So it looked like another round of lawsuits and bitterness and anger and acrimony. So she just started to pray, Jesus, show me a better way, right? Jesus, show me a better way. And Jesus gave her an idea to have a tea on a Sunday afternoon and invite all of the neighbors whose views were affected by these trees. And she said these neighbors came from all over. They were from China and India and other countries, and she and her husband had never met any of them, right? And so at this tea, she got all of their approval to approach the neighbors with the offending trees and offer to have them removed or topped free of charge if the neighbors would only allow that to happen, right? Because the neighbors at the tea had pooled all of their money together because they figured it was better to spend a few thousand dollars to resolve it peacefully than do more lawsuits and all of that. And it worked. She said, now we, now we have this amazing view, but way better than the view is now we've got community. And she and her husband are now going to host a potluck where everyone is going to bring a, a dish from their native country. Doesn't that sound awesome? Right? Like, wouldn't you like to be at that potluck? And she said, I can't say whether or not this will result in anyone going to church. I have no idea how to talk to Hindu people about Jesus. But God answered my first prayer and open this door, so now I'm just going to walk through it and see where it goes. That's how you change a neighborhood. That's how you change a school. That's how you change an office. That's how you change a soccer team. Lots of you have said, I don't know how to bring Jesus healing where I live, work, and play. Yes, you do. I think you do more than you think you do. You do. There's no one-size-fits-all, right? It's, you do what this woman did. You pray, and you say, Jesus, give me eyes to see and give me ideas how I can be part of your healing right where I am. She lived differently. She swam upstream against a culture that values property over people, lawsuits over love, conflict over community. And not only did she prevent another round of lawsuits and bitterness, she built this amazingly diverse community. She and her husband now have new friends, right? And the, the atmosphere in the neighborhood is so much better because of this one tea. The whole neighborhood has changed. And there are 4,000 of us in this church that's a lot of classrooms, offices, hospitals, neighborhoods waiting for us to be that new society who live differently and bring Jesus healing wherever we go. So this week, ask Jesus, do what this woman did. Do what my friend and Catalina did. Jesus, help me see how I can bring your healing. This week, give me eyes to see it and then give me courage to do it. Because see, the whole Bible is about a God on mission to rescue this world from the damage that the devil has done. And finally, coming himself in the person of Jesus, right, to, to rescue us so we could be rescuers with him. Because see, every three minutes, a child in America learns that his parents are getting divorced. And there are three billion people in the world today that live on less than $2 a day. Every four hours, a child in America kills himself. And there are millions of lonely and hurting and broken people. And the question in all of that is, God, where are you in this? Where are you in this? And God says, we are the answer to that question. And God is not looking for a group of people who obsess over picky points of theology or who do worship a certain kind of way or who can boycott all the right things to show the world how mad they are and what they're against because that's so attractive. 
God is looking for a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, not perfect people, but messed up people, screwed up people, you, me, his peculiar treasure who he is transforming with his white hot love. You are the answer to someone's where are you in the middle of this God question. You're the answer to that. See, the devil only brings bondage, but Jesus sets the captives free, brings good news to the poor, and he mends every broken heart. And his power is at work in and through us to reveal his love and remove the chains, rebuke the devil's lies, repair the damage of sin, restore what has been lost, renew what is old, revive what has died, redeem those in bondage, and reverse the effects of the fall. And he will not stop, will not quit, will not yield, will not cease until the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And so he says to you and he says to me, are you in? Because my plan is to change the world for you. So Bell Press, are you in? Jesus, thank you that you use us to heal your world. You could do it without us. You could do it easier without us. You could do it better without us. You could do it more efficiently without us. But Jesus, you do it with us because you love us and you want to be with us. So Lord, help us. Give us eyes to see this week, me, everyone in this room, eyes to see this week how we can be part of bringing your healing where you have put us Monday through Saturday. Lord, thank you that you include us We are grateful for that. Heal your word through us. Heal your world through us so that people know that you are Lord and so that this region experiences revival in our day. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.